again. So much. We honor and celebrate the beginning of course February for the recognition of those of black history who have sown into our lives historically and who now in the portals of heaven reap the fruit in which as a result of their sowing, we are the fruit of their effort and labor to work at acquiring equality at the best of their ability. And we thank them for sowing those seeds for us to continue to work in the vineyard to work for both justice and equality. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through 11 is our text again this morning as we engage in part two of last Sunday's title, some people or some folk don't give because. We'll continue that exploration here very shortly as we read this text of Paul to a very wealthy church who needed to be reminded of privileges of being wealthy and a level of expectation of being wealthy and a willingness to give because freely one has received. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six says this, now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattereth abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You may be seated. Last Sunday, I pushed on verses 6, 7, and 8. And this morning, I want to push on verse 10 and 11. As we talk about the continuous reasons, perhaps, arguably, I should say, why some people, some folk, don't give to the work of God. We mentioned Robert Latourne on last Sunday about his great harvest law that he adopted as he embraced the particularities of 2 Corinthians 9. And he provided that as his underscore, his foundation of his financial success. I gave you also what I call my uh, wealth tip or a wealth principle. And remember I said last Sunday that that principle was your income can grow only to the extent that 
you do. I added two more this Sunday. If you look in the bulletin where the outline is, there are two additional principles that I hope you will grasp and sort of take a moment to try to learn as well. The first principle is, and I find it quite life-changing if you're willing to let it penetrate into your spirit. If you're not in the room where changes are occurring, you're stuck in the yard where consequences are received. By interpretation, that just simply means if you're not in the room where changes are occurring, where decisions are being made in regard to your life and not be the receiver of someone else's decision, which is really only your consequence. Which means that you have to take a consideration not only where you are economically, but what's affecting your economics. And how is it that you always have more month than money? The second principle I said is that if you want to change the fruits, you will first have to change the roots. If you want to change the visible, you must change the invisible. And my point being by interpretation, we often seem to concentrate when it comes to repair or reflection only what the fruit says. But remember the fruit is only the extension of the seeds as the root. And so if you really wanna find out what's wrong with your finances, go back to the root of the issue. And there you'll discover where your problem is. The fruit is just a benefactor or just a manifestation of what's at the root. And so, you know, you talk about a problem, you clip the problem off at the top, but you notice when you do that, the problem comes back. And that's because we haven't addressed the issue at the root. You've got to cut the root out and then replant with some more beneficial seeds. So I said on last week that some people don't give because A, they don't believe, and that's a heart issue. They don't believe in scripture. They don't believe in scripture in the sense that what it says about economics, and that's a heart matter that you have to get over. B, they don't know why, that's a knowledge issue. They haven't read the scripture to find out why it's important and it's beneficial to give to the work of God. C, they're in transition. That means they have a journey issue. Something is going on in their life and maybe they're not able to give as their heart's desire. They have to handle whatever it is on the journey that's prohibiting them from giving. And fourth, they're in a difficult financial season. That's a faith issue. Because normally when we hit a financial problem, one of the immediate things that we try to find to cut out is our giving to church because we don't treat the giving to God as a manifestation of reality as we do everything else. 
So we make sure we pay everything else. I'm not mad at you. But somehow, let me suggest that you may not have been able to give as you previously did, but find some way to continue to give something so that you don't lose that connection of giving, the habit of giving, and then it gives you aspiration by way of a goal to know that when I get myself out of this difficult financial season, I want to get back to where I was, if not exceed that point to where I was. But there's a few more reasons why they don't give. They don't give also because they don't know how. You'll be surprised, and this is really the responsibility of myself and trustees, those of us who are responsible for making sure there's an option of giving, when people look at our envelope, it may not be as self-explanatory as we think that it is. They may not understand what does building fund mean? What does other mean? What does offering mean? Even what does tithe mean? They may not know that the envelope is not the only manner in which they can give, but they can also give not only in the offering plate, but online. And we need to become a little bit more sophisticated by way of creating a greater little Zion mobile app. Because we are moving past the stage church-wide, and it's a financial practice, where I would argue probably the next 20 years, the plate may not be as optional as we once had it in the past because what the plate does, if it's eliminated, it sort of reduces our risk for security measures in terms of how we collect money and moving money from point A to point B. There's a reason why most corporations businesses that you deal with, you and I, have moved to online payment options. Not only is it easier, it saves paper for them, of course, they don't have to send out a bill every month and no stamps, but also the immediacy of paying the bill at best 24 hours. And you look at your account, there is a subtraction because they now know how they can give. And maybe one of the things we have to do in church is, as much as I don't like to talk about money, at least tell people there are options in giving. And you don't necessarily have, and some people, some people, because we've made them feel this way, one way or the other in our innuendos and the bad things we say, they don't feel comfortable walking around to the offering plate because somebody may see what they're putting in there and may be ostracized. That's a reality. And we also know in church that we seem to get more if you walk around as opposed to when we pass the plate through the pews. So you didn't know that, did you? People give more if they have to walk around. Why? Because they don't want to walk around and do nothing. Because you don't know who's looking. Now, we say, I don't care what anybody say about me, I don't care if they're looking at me, but we really do. It really does bother us 
but most importantly, our own consciousness. And this is why you have to be you have to be comfortable and you have to be prayed up and you have to be in the word because if you're not able to give, you cannot allow yourself to go on a guilt trip. But it should be motivation, inspiration from God to say, this is why I want you to work on your financial structure. I don't want you to be in debt to the lender. But I want you to be free so that you can give as you have freely been given. There's another reason. Not only do they not know how, but they don't know where their money goes. It's a it's a, it's a tight expectation when people hold you accountable. That just simply means that folk want to know if I'm giving you something, where is it going? And are you willing to tell me where everything is going? Don't hide anything. Just tell me. Tell me where it's going. And am I vulnerable? Absolutely you are. But remember, when doing so though, it creates transparency. And in creating transparency, the, one of the best ways to inspire people to give is to make sure that they know exactly where their dollars are going. And if they decide, for whatever reason, I don't want to give anymore, that's okay. You have to understand, at least I told them the truth and I unveiled all things to them. But people don't give because they don't know where their money is going. Uh, do we share with them how we spend it? Do we provide understandable reports? But then some of the burden of accountability also has to be those who are holding us accountable. You have to ask questions. And don't permit because something goes on in its process repetitively that you're not going to raise a question because you don't want to be the one who looks like the odd person in the bunch. It's your dollar. It's your money. Why would you not raise a question if you had one? And then the question becomes if they raise questions, are we being honest and answering their questions accurately? So some people don't give because they don't know where their money is going. And the Bible inspires us to walk in the light of accountability. It inspires us to do so because as we are people of light and salt, there's an accountability factor there. And that is that whom much is given, much is required. Then the third reason today is that they don't see why they need to give. One thing we have to get over is we are no longer dealing with the baby boomer going backwards generation where church was overwhelmingly a commitment that we just did not renege on. Uh, folk gave because you went to church and that's what you do. The generations Beyond that, see things differently. They're going to raise the question, that three-letter word that those of us who came up in a different church tradition struggle with, why? Why do I need to give? For what? We struggle with that. 
Because who questions God? Who questions why you do what you do in the church? Newsflash. A new generation is. And rightfully so. Because we who grew up in church tradition know that a lot of stuff was swept under the rug because nobody asked why. It's all right. I know you don't want to say, man, I got you. I got you. I feel you. But we know we, a lot of stuff we saw done in church we dare not even talk about now because nobody talked about it then. And this young generation is saying to us now, well, that was then. This is now. We want to know why. And you just got to be honest with them and tell them why we're asking them to give. They want to see what's being done with their money. I want to see it. They're looking for tangible evidence. Don't tell me what you show me. This is facetious, but I'm going to use it. If you put a new parking lot in, show me. Show me the whole parking lot. I want to see all the stripes, all the numbers, everything. I want to see everything on the parking lot. Because they know we say one thing and sometimes because circumstances we do another and we never tell them why we made a change so they're not in with that kind of behavior. They need to see that their gifts are yielding results and worth their contribution. Now, as we go to the text, there is something incredible here and that is back to Latourne's and the outline that I gave you great harvest law and his, his argument is that when you talk about giving keep in mind there are four simple principles as to why and even according to the apostle Paul we want to give as I read in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9 there's a principle at work and it's called the principle of investment there's a principle here. You get back what you put in. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, but he who sows abundantly reaps abundantly. It's here where Paul reminds us, if we consider this, that one kernel of corn is all the potential that's needed for reproducing a cycle. Yet, if I plant the corn, it'll reproduce itself and bring forth many times its original corn. One corn, one kernel, should I say, can bring forth a whole lot. And each of those new kernels can be planted to see that now that I have thousands of kernels, the cycle goes on. So if I give sparingly, I can only expect back sparingly, but then I can only continue to sow sparingly. But if I make a decision that as I get back more, I begin to invest more, then more comes back to me. That's one of the reasons why I've tried to make it a point of my ministry to inform you how it critical it is that you study the word. 
Because if you invest in studying the word, I guarantee I stake my life on it, you're going to get more back than you ever invested in your time. But the great glory is whatever little time I invest in sowing in the word of God, I know that if I'm connected and committed to it, the abundance that God is going to give me back in return. Uh, I've spent as much as $500 for a single book. And people thought that was absurd. I said, you got to understand the principle. A, I'm investing in my knowledge. But here's the, here's the clincher. What it took that person 40 years to get, if I sit and read his or her book, I can gain it in an hour. See the difference in that investment? So on the front side, it's $500, and anybody else who's not a book lover would say that's crazy. But on the flip side, if you're a person who pursues knowledge, it's priceless. Because as I sold $500, look what I got back. Years of learning in someone else's life and adding to my own because I made a decision to invest. And one reason why we suffer economically is because we don't invest in ourselves and we don't invest in the kingdom of God. There's a second principle at work. And the second principle in the text is the principle of identity. Not only a principle of investment, but the principle of identity. Not only do we get if we sow, but we get what we sow. So if I sow corn kernels, I certainly cannot expect to get tomatoes in return. And some of us have been, I think, misinformed particularly when we put the word tithe in front of it. I'm going to tithe my time and my talent. You're not going to get the same return if you tithe your economics. You can't get the same return. Why? Because they're not the same objects. You can't sow corn, expect tomatoes. You can't sow tomatoes and expect cucumbers. You get what you sow. And this principle of identity, here it is, Paul says in Galatians 6 and 8, he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. I get back what I sow in. A man reaps exactly what he sows. That's the reason why people who sow the seeds of anger and discourse get that kind of reaction and that kind of lifestyle back from others because that's what you're sowing. That's what you shall also reap. Callousness in our relationships, you'll find that you'll always be involved in unloving, uncaring relationships. Because that's all you do. You're sowing and you're reaping what you sow. The very identity. Then there's a third reason. Third principle. Third principle is the principle of increase. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God has arranged for things to grow and develop. If a farmer planted, once again, a kernel of corn, waited six months, and all it produced was one more kernel of corn, there'd be no sense of attempting to reproduce. Something's wrong with that process. We're back to my original statement, it's probably at the root. But the Bible makes clear that sowing leads to increase. If we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully, you always reap more than you sow. Now, how, how do I know that? Because even when we were negligent in our giving of the tithe, all of us can testify this morning we still kept getting back from God the blessing of more than what we gave to God. When we told God, sorry God, but I got to pay this bill this month and if I can, next month I'll catch up. If God would cut us off off of every negligent act that we had, we probably would be in serious trouble. But aren't you glad this morning that the Lord doesn't do like that because God understands how life is and God continues to supply and increase even when we don't increase. And some of us know that what we have and where we are is because of what little we gave, what little we sowed, God multiplied and gave it to us in abundance. So increase. And the principle says, I get if I sow. Second principle says, I get what I sow. And this third principle says, I get more than I sow. So now, says Paul, God who supplies seed to the sower. And when we take a, a real critical look economically where we are, we got more seeds than we ever imagined. More seeds than we probably ever even really knew that we, we had. But listen to the text. If I took that time to do that, says Paul, there's a recognition that God gives seed to the sower, bread for food, and supply, and here it is, multiplies the seed that I've already sown and increases the fruits of my righteousness. In other words, God says, I not only give you even when you don't deserve it, and I give it to you more than enough. That's why James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. We should recognize that. But God says also when you do right, when you live right, when you labor to follow after me, I still increase your seed. And some of us can testify, it's kind of hard to treat people right sometimes. 
I mean, sometimes when you know people mistreat you and people take your goodness, your kindness as a weakness and they are working for some reason that you don't even know about to try to find a way to demise you, it's hard for you to exhibit caring love and trying to help them recognize the error of their way. That's a hard thing to do. But Paul says what God does is when you do that, he increases your seed because of your fruits of righteousness. So it does pay to do right. That's what grandmama used to say. It pays to do right. It does pay to do right. And sometimes it doesn't always look like you're getting what you deserve in terms of doing right, but, but keep on working at it. It does pay in the long run. And so Paul tells us that not only God increases our righteousness, but verse 11, he'll enrich, he enriches us, we will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Meaning that because you chose to do right, God will make your tree blossom with fruit far more than you could ever imagine. That, that's what we're really saying when we cry out in testimony, God open doors that no man can shut and God handles the enemies who are trying, no weapon formed against me will prosper. What we're really saying is, I know if I do right, I gotta believe that in due season, I shall reap if I don't faint on the journey. But God's going to do something miraculous. God's going to open a door that I've been praying about. God's worked all things together. He's lining everything up. I just got to stick with God and do the right thing. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy. Some people, I want to let them meet my five brothers. I forget you. I forget I'm a, I'm a growing Christian, y'all already there. But I'm just trying to work at this thing. I'm trying to tell you, I'm still working at this thing. I like to say some things, but in the back of my mind, thank God for the Holy Spirit that says he'll bring all things to your remembrance. He's reminding me there's a reward if you hang in there and do the right thing. You may not look the best at that moment, but later on, you're going to look like shining gold. Because when you stick with God, he'll take you through some spaces that you certainly never anticipated. But he'll bless you if you hold out with him. Verse 11 says, he gives it to me in everything with all liberality, with freedom. You know what that means? I'm getting blessed from the seeds that I sow of righteousness from folk and from places and from people and from situations I never would imagine would have recognized me. And that's how God works. The people you least expect to bless you. I'll open some doors for you, says God. So when we sow, we get an abundance in return and in explaining the concept to the Corinthian church, Paul actually uses this word abundance, look at it, consistently, particularly if you're reading a certain translation, verse 6, 
He does so in verse 8. He does so in verse 11. And he does again in verse 12. And there's an interchangeable words that Paul uses, not just abundance, but he uses a number of words bountifully. He uses a great word here in verse 12, supplying but also overflowing. And sometimes we sit back and look at how blessed we are. We are overflowing with more than enough. You know you got more than enough because when you were poor, you didn't throw away nothing. You stretched everything. You got all you can get out of there. It's old school. You get that, that can of Crisco, you down there at the bottom getting every ounce of that Crisco you can. I mean every ounce. If you got the bottle, you turn it upside down and just let it all drip down until you can get it all. Now you got three cans of Crisco. When you get down to the bottom, you don't do all that digging. You just throw it away. Why? Because you got more. You are overflowing. Some of us kept our clothes until they dry rotted. Just <laughs> warm out. Now we got so much, we worm, I don't know, five, ten times, pile them up, give them away. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying to tell you, recognize you're able to do that because you are overflowing. And you got more than enough. You've been abundantly blessed says Paul. Then there's a final principle. Paul says not only the principle of investment, not only the principle of identity, not only the principle of increase, but the principle of interval. Paul says we reap what we sow, but it takes a while. We reap long after we sow. The farmer goes to the field, plants his corn, and waits. And he didn't come back that afternoon expecting that the corn would have came up. But he know now there's a time frame in which what is visible has to first go to work underneath in the invisible. And so he can't see it right now, but he's got to be willing to wait until the time comes and then he's got to trust God for irrigation from the heavens. That water will fall and that the rains will give the earth the increase and go down and germinate that seed. He knows that you don't get everything in terms of progression overnight, but you got to wait until you change comes and Paul says that nobody in their right mind expects to sow and reap on the same day there's an interval between the two actions says Paul in Galatians 6 9 let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart there's something about this waiting on God 
Now, when we start cleaning up our situation economically and started to grow or started to reinvest in the kingdom of God, uh, don't expect, as I said last Sunday, you give $5 that you're going to get back 15000 in the next week. It's possible, but it's not likely to work out that way. That's not doubt. That's not skepticism. That's not negativity. That's just following what God has put in place, natural laws. But there's a growth that comes out of when you do so and you're willing to wait because in the waiting period, it develops you, it strengthens you, it stretches you, and what it's really doing is increasing your patience and your perseverance to trust God when you can't trace him. Because underneath the earth, God is working all things out in the planting, sowing process. And if you're patient with God and wait, you will reap in the fruitful season. Let me close with the promise of God from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to, here it is, forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. In other words, God is saying, hey, when you do something on my behalf, I won't forget. I'll record it. And I'll give you back more than you ever imagined. You may think that God has forgotten your sacrifice. What the Lord remembers is ability to keep the laws of harvest operating is not in question. So do me a favor. Take a look at the results of that investment in your life. And tell me how good God has been to you even at your minimal investment. And Paul says in verse 11, as he closes in all that you do, God is working it, blessing you, so that through you, he is producing thanksgiving unto God. So wherever you are, do me a favor, be thankful for what you have and where you are and celebrate in advance what God is going to do as he works all things together in your life for the good. We are celebrating because God worked out the giving of his gift and sowing in his son, Jesus, who became the substitutionary sacrifice for me at Calvary. And I'm celebrating because in God's sowing, he reaped abundantly on that Sunday morning. And yet God is saying, my fruit is in each and every one of you. And I need for you to live in the abundance that I have planned for your life to be. Says Jesus in John 10, 10. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly.
it's all right to be a Christian and live on the abundant side. To live on the side of more than enough. Because that's what God has called his servants to do. Father, bless your word as it goes out to the people. May in their hearts they receive.